that our sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and we bear it no more. Jesus, you are our sin bearer. Though innocent and perfect and eternal, you took on human flesh and became one of your creation and took our sin into yourself, allowing it to be completely destroyed because of your great love for us. You maintained your integrity as God with all of your attributes being simultaneously expressed in the most glorious moment in history. And we rejoice. We rejoice because of who you are, God, and because of who you have now made us to be, rebels who have been made children, accepted in the family of God, loved and without any consequence or any guilt. Uh, Lord, may we uh, carry these truths with us, not just in our head and not just on Sundays in this room, but in our very lives, that the gospel would be so sweet and so true and so compelling in our lives that people would have to know how they are made right with you and that we would be eager to tell them. Uh, Lord, this morning, guide our study as we turn to your word. Uh, we're not just looking for behavior modification. We're looking to live lives of worship for our God who has rescued us. So guide us to that end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you didn't already know, a quick announcement. I'll let you know that uh, today is also the church picnic. So after second service up at Camp Lywa, uh, we would love for you to join us there. There's uh, food and games and food and games and all the things you'd expect to be at a church picnic. No surprise. And we actually have beautiful weather this year. It seems to me we've been on a yearly streak of a little bit of rain. And I want to jinx us, but it looks really nice. So I hope you will come. If you'd open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, we're continuing on in our series. Uh, you can turn to Proverbs 16, verse 32, which is going to be sort of the theme of this morning's message. Proverbs 16, 32, better a patient man than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes the city. In elementary school in Southern California, uh, I was a little bit of a hothead kid, and I had a childhood nemesis, and his name, I'll give you the full name, you can even Google him if you want, <laughs> Justin Williams, like you're going to track him down, yeah. <laughs> Justin Williams was my childhood nemesis. We competed on the playground, uh, well, he was kind of a punk, and I'm sure I wasn't, you know. One day we were out on the playground and we were playing, you know, three or four on four or something like that with uh, just football. And uh, a couple of the guys on my team decided they were done playing and they wandered off. And Justin thought, well, this was an opportunity to rub it in. And so he kind of got up in my face and, ha, ha, we win, we win. And I'm walking with the football trying to ignore him. Ha, ha, we win, we win. And finally I decided what he was asking for was for me to throw the football at him as hard as I could. That's the message I was receiving. So I turned around and just, and it was one of those moments. I can still feel it and see it. It was like, wow, I really got a hold of this one, you know. That's coming out of my hand. Nice. That's a perfect spiral. That's going to peg him right in the leg. Uh, you know, I was getting happier about it as it's going. Sing, and I let that thing go. And no kidding, it hit him right in the thigh. 
and he dropped and he started screaming and crying and wailing and then I had that second moment which was what did I do <laughs> I didn't think about that before the playground monitor came over and tended to his whining <laughs> and shook her finger at me in sort of disapproving fashion yeah that was probably wrong that was first recess then second recess came along, and I don't remember what we were doing, but it just didn't take long. This is like a Major League Baseball game when somebody gets plunked, and then you kind of know it's coming, right? It was just like that. Didn't take much, and suddenly, boom, we were locked up, rolling around in the dirt, trying to punch each other and missing everything and just looking ridiculous. But nevertheless, we got in trouble, and they hauled us into the principal's office, Mr. Randall. And we sat down, and I received the first and only detention of my entire life for fighting. Yeah. But Mr. Randall was not the scariest bit. When I got home, I had to deal with my mother. And she looks really nice. She looks like a delightful person. It's just part of her disguise. Uh, my mom wisely recognized that I was becoming a kid who was quick to anger. That it was happening kind of more and more and that I was increasingly giving vent to it. And instead of learning to control it, uh, it was beginning to control me. And I was liking it a little bit, if that resonates with you. Um, and so the medicine my mom doled out was that I had to memorize this proverb, this specific proverb, Proverbs 16.32. Better a patient man than a warrior. He who controls his temper than he who takes a city. And uh, I actually had to not only memorize it, but I had to write it out um, a number of times. And I will tell you, it's still disputed in our family how many times I actually had to write this out. In my mind, it was a hundred. She rejects that theory. But I can tell you that it absolutely happened. And as I was writing it out, I wrote it out with such angst and force on my desk that it is actually etched into my childhood desk. <laughs> how ironic is that? Better a patient man than a warrior dot the I, you know. Um, but I would tell you this, as, as much as it made an impression on my desk, and even more so, it really did begin to make an impression on my heart. Uh, God used Scripture and the memorization of Scripture to begin to change my heart. Uh, and I would tell you it took time, um, but it was something that God used. Now, I bring this story up because this is an easy one. Right? This is from back then and back there. Right? That's easy. We can laugh about that. It's kind of funny, and, and you all can too. And I don't mind you laughing at me a little bit, just a little bit. Um, but for most of us, or all of us, we know that our sin nature, the nature that incites even those childhood kinds of errors and those things we did when we were young, we know that that same sinful nature is right there with us today. We struggle with the same kinds of sins. 
we have some of our favorite sins, if I could call them that. I love what Dr. Rosaria Butterfield says in an article she wrote recently. My choice sins know my name and address. They come to visit often, I'm adding that. Like in-laws, you know. They know right where you are. <laughs> They'll find you. Uh, and so if I'm honest with you, though anger is something I've learned to control, it's there for me. It tempts, it calls out, and I suspect it does for many of you. And something I've learned too is you don't have to have this white hot meltdown anger for it to be there. Some of us have learned how to put it on simmer and keep it below the surface, but nevertheless, it's there. And so this morning we're going to look at what the Proverbs has to say about the risk of anger and contrastingly the reward of self-control. And the point I would want you to hear this morning that you would come away with is this, that you must learn to control your anger or your anger will control you. Uh, that's the bullet this morning. Let's talk about what is anger. What is anger? I'm going to use a definition that I discovered uh, from Tim Keller. Uh, great author. If you're not reading Tim Keller, you are missing out. Uh, I would... I would almost call him, I'm not short, but I would almost call him the C.S. Lewis of our day. I think he's nearly that good, and you should be reading uh, what he's writing. But he has defined anger as energy released to defend something you love. I'll say it again. Energy released to defend something you love. I really like this definition. That's what we'll use this morning. Uh, and you might... Notice that initially, this definition is sort of neutral about anger, right? It doesn't say it's a good thing. It doesn't say it's a bad thing. It just says that it's a thing. And it shows up in relatively neutral fashion. A neutral force that can be either for constructive purposes or destructive purposes. Uh, I think his definition might be a little bit short uh, in at least this respect, uh, or or I'll, I'll get to that in a second, but I think it could be a little bit short, but at least what I really like about it is it reveals that anger isn't just an isolated emotion. Uh, it's not even a primary uh, emotion, but in fact, it's what counselors and therapists will often call a secondary emotion. Secondary. In other words, first and foremost, there is a value or a love, an affection, an expectation that we have and then when it is threatened or disregarded or overrun, then anger comes. And so in that way, it's, it's secondary. And I think whenever we're trying to understand either our own anger or somebody else's, I think there's some, uh, a couple of really helpful questions you can ask. Number one, what are you trying to protect? And number two, what are you trying to promote? What is it that you're trying to protect, and what is it that someone is trying to promote? And I think those can kind of help us assess where the anger might be coming from, why it was triggered, so to speak. Uh, more often than not, I think answering these questions will sort of be that first step uh, to begin to sort things out. Rather than just letting anger have its way with us, we can become a student of it. 
Now, where I think Keller's definition falls short is this. I think there are times when anger, like almost any sin, I don't mean to say that anger itself is a sin, but like any sin, it can become habitual. It can just be something that we get to quickly, kind of a pattern or a pathway that we travel frequently enough that we go there without thought or effort. It just happens. It can become uh, a habit, second nature, a prevailing character, or even an addiction. Um, Now, all of us, I think, have triggers uh, to become angry. But there is one person in the Scripture, a kind of person in the Scripture, that is called a hot-tempered man. That is not a compliment. (laughs) A hot-tempered man. And this person gets real angry real fast, real often. And the scripture amazingly cautions us not even to associate with that person. Uh, In Proverbs 22, verses 24 to 25, and I have listed on the back of your handout uh, the Proverbs in sequence as I'll work through them just kind of for efficiency here. But about this person it says, Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. Uh, This hot-tempered person, as is is described here, this is one, again, who becomes really angry, really fast. They learn to sort of embrace their anger. It's as though they like it. They nurse it along. They give it full vent. They don't restrain it. The hot-tempered person gets to the point where they kind of actually like being angry. It is almost a comfort to them, almost a coping mechanism. Uh, This is a person who uses anger as a way to make themselves feel strong or feel better, particularly when they feel weak or vulnerable. They have learned to use anger in a manipulative or controlling or overpowering kind of fashion. Instead of learning to control their anger, they learn to control others by their anger. This is the hot-tempered man. And they are walking with the Proverbs say the foolish path of life, harming themselves and harming others. In fact, the scriptures tell us that the, that the sort of the, the consequence of this person is built right into the sin itself. They harm themselves with their own anger and others. Proverbs 29, 22, an angry person stirs up conflict and a hot-tempered person commits many sins. It's presented as sort of a gateway drug, if you will, leading to many, many other types of sins. And so I think one of the healthiest ways that we ought to look at our anger or our moments of anger is actually to see it as an indicator. An indicator. That is, it's just telling us something is wrong. A value has been violated. Uh, A love has been threatened. Something is wrong. And we need to take a look at it. Uh, I think anger, a really good comparison of of, uh, anger or illustration of it is like the warning, the check engine light on your car. You know, when it comes on in your car, you look at it and you know it doesn't mean necessarily, well, that's it, my engine's kaput. It's over. This car's toast. When the check engine light comes on, especially nowadays, it could mean any number of things, right? It, It could mean you forgot to put the gas cap back on. It could mean you have a misfire in one of their cylinders. It could mean that you have more than likely one of your oxygen sensors is out, right? Uh, One of your O2 sensors. 
And uh, it just means something's wrong, and it's time to investigate. And I think anger is exactly the same thing. It's like a warning light that goes off that says, Hey, Eric, something is wrong. Something has happened. It's time to look at this and see what is going on here. What value has been violated? What love has been threatened? And so that takes us to our next sort of big, broad question, and I've already tipped my hand a little bit here, but is anger a valid or appropriate emotion? And I would say yes, or maybe better yet, cautiously yes. Cautiously yes. I think when we learn to see anger as an indicator, it can lead us either to a destructive course or a constructive course. It can be positive. In fact, Martin Luther said something really interesting. He said, when I get angry, I can write, pray, and preach well. I wonder how his congregation felt about that. (laughs) But actually, that kind of resonated with me a little bit. Years ago, after the uh, shooting that took place in Sandy Hook Elementary School, it was a very difficult week for me pastorally. um, As I was working on my message and I felt like I had something ready to deliver, but I was unsettled all week long. And I'll be honest with you, I was angry about what had happened, as many of you were. And I didn't quite know how to direct my anger. And I remember it being a very difficult week to sort of live with the message that I had planned. And yet in my heart, I think there was a righteous indignation. And I would tell you that it helped me that week to prepare a different message than I intentionally or initially had planned. And I believe by God's grace it was one of the better messages I've ever preached. So actually Luther's comment resonates with me. There's times when an anger for something that is truly evil and truly wrong is righteous. The problem is you and I just aren't usually righteous. We're the flawed instrument and even though it might be a rightful thing and we see Jesus experiencing righteous indignation, usually we have self-righteous indignation (laughs) and it's flawed somebody else has said provocatively he who is not angry when he has caused to be sins i don't know how i feel about that one but that's something to chew on a little bit but overall what i want to see is that yeah i I think anger is a righteous or a, a right emotion it's valid it's what we do with it that really matters and so what i see in the scriptures is that it doesn't forbid anger but it cautions us if you turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 4, 26, or on the back of your handout, one of the great passages in Scripture on the subject of anger, it says this, in your anger, do not sin. It's almost as though the Scriptures are written t- knowing that you're human <laughs> and that anger is going to be a part of your life and your human experience. In your anger, when it happens, when it comes, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. The Greek word here in the scriptures for foothold is topos, and it means real estate, or ground, or territory. In other words, unresolved anger is basically an invitation, hey Satan, come live here. You can have this corner of my life. I give you this real estate in my heart. So we're meant to have anger, but we're meant to do something with it. It's meant to be used for a constructive 
end. It's meant to be resolved, not left undealt with. Somebody else once quipped that anger is only one letter away from danger. Cute, but memorable. James 1.19 also addresses anger. James, we, might, we sometimes call the Proverbs of the New Testament. Uh, it deals with the same subjects that the wisdom literature of the Old Testament does uh, in sort of quick, pithy fashion as well. But James says, my brothers, in 119, my brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. So we can see here that when we act in anger, in other words, when anger and action are a one-step process, rarely do we do the things that God would have us do. When anger and action are a one-stage process, we're in huge jeopardy. And so are others. Uh, But if our anger can lead us to circumspection and evaluation and informed action, then we may have something really healthy. It depends on what we do with it. Um, Proverbs 19.19, a hot-tempered person must pay the penalty. Rescue them and you'll have to do it again hot-tempered person having to pay the penalty, that sort of the real literal rendering of the Hebrew here is basically showing us that the angry, the angry this hot-tempered person, that quick person quick to anger carries around in that action their own harm. The punishment is carried around in the sin itself. The angry person, the hot-tempered man, is his own worst enemy. So hopefully we can see here that anger may be a legitimate emotion, neutral upon arrival, but it threatens at least to take us to a place of destruction. Therefore, we must become a student of it first. We have to take it in hand and gain perspective, or it will take us by the hand to a place of destruction and danger. Uh, I think we should also acknowledge that anger can be instructive. Uh, Again, we're meant to Bring it under uh, control and to a constructive end. Um, Proverbs 29.11 warns that fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. In other words, anger should be a passing emotion, not a prevailing attitude. When it comes, it must be dealt with, and it should dissipate. Uh, Tim Keller has summarized this verse this way. He says, anger should be directed without excess to solve a problem leading to calm. Isn't that good? I think it's really tidy. That anger should be directed without excess to solve a problem leading to calm. In other words, anger is valid if we use it to recognize the problem, address it with wisdom and self-control, and walk out a course to address Uh, the affront. Let's bring it to the third point here. How? How do we bring anger under control? This is sort of the magic question, right? And um, 
I'm going to try to give us an acronym, something really handy that you can walk out of here with, something that you might remember or might be able to use at the drop of a hat. That's the way the Proverbs were intended to be used. Uh, And so my acronym is AIM. Be careful with your anger. Make sure it's rightly aimed, okay? So the first point is this. How do we bring our anger under control? We acknowledge it. Uh, I really enjoy spending time with emotionally intelligent people, people with high EQ, they call it, people who know themselves, they know what they feel, and they even know why they feel it. And I enjoy having conversations with them about that. People who are able to say, what is it that I'm feeling and why? And I think there's great wisdom in just being able to recognize in this moment, the emotion that I'm carrying is anger. I'm feeling angry. Okay, now why do I have this? In other words, they don't allow themselves just to feel it haphazardly. They don't allow it to simply have its way with them. They're willing to feel it. They're willing to acknowledge it, to know that that's the thing. And now they're going to bring it under control. Anger, I think, is an awful lot like electricity or fire. Incredibly powerful, but must be harnessed because they have great danger. Powerful for good or for ill. And I think of God's caution to Cain in the Garden of Eden when his anger flared up in jealousy over his brother Abel. In Genesis 4, 6, it says this, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. This is what God is telling Cain in the moment of his anger. And I think it reveals sort of this great danger of it. It's one thing to feel it. Why are you angry? Let's deal with that. And if he brings it under control, it's fine. But it is sitting there as a crouching something, ready to pounce, ready to overpower. We have to see that our anger, this emotion itself, is not yet sin, but a crouching threat. It's 220 volts of electricity. It could be used for great things or kill you on the spot. Uh, it's, it's like a fire, a round fuel that could become a wildfire or it can be used constructively. And so whenever anger comes, I think we need to recognize we're on a knife's edge. This is power to be harnessed, not to simply let it have its way with us. What's the second piece? So first is to acknowledge it. Secondly, investigate it. Investigate it. And I want to spend a little bit of time uh, on this one here. Uh, The great question, I think, to ask ourselves is, why am I feeling this way? Uh, Now, I do a lot of uh, premarital counseling or or pastoral counseling with with people here in the church. And uh, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you to bravely identify which one of of these you are here, okay? Uh, Don't worry, it won't be too invasive. There are two kinds of people I find in my counseling. There are internal processors and external processors, okay? Uh, The external processor is one who wants to talk it out. And as they talk it out, they understand more greatly how they feel. That's helpful to them. Then there's the internal processor that's like, I don't want to talk about this until I've sorted it out. 
having sorted it out and nailed it, then we can talk. And I find that most couples are one or the other. One of you is one and one of you is the other. And a lot of you are smiling back at me because you know this is true, all right? So we're going to, you know, a little bit of sharing here. How many of you are the internal processors? There you go. You know that's you. How many of you are external processors? There it is. Okay, the external processors are right because that's what I am. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But it's something you experience sometimes in marriage, especially where you're inclined to, hey, I need to talk this out. And your spouse is like, well, I haven't figured it out yet. And you're like, I know, I got to figure it out. Like, well, stay over there until I get it sorted. Well, I can't because I'm festering. And sort of back and forth it goes. And, um, and I think it's, it's uh, something to pay attention to here even as we're dealing with anger. When anger comes, some of you are going to want to deal with this differently. You internal processors need time and space to think. You need to pray. You need to do things like go for a walk. Enough exercise to spend off some of the extra anger or energy that you have, but not so much that the feeling evaporates, right? Don't do a marathon. You might forget that you're angry. <laughs> but you need that time to kind of process yourself in your own head. You might need a, a journal to write it out. If this anger has sort of been triggered by somebody else, I'll give you a little, a little trick that I think is so helpful for internal processors, and that is write a letter to that person giving full vent to everything you feel with this one caveat, you never intend to send it. The point is simply to get it out of you. Get it on paper. And then set it aside. Make sure it's not digital, that it accidentally gets emailed or something, you know. And then come back to it and evaluate it. What's legitimate? This isn't. This was a bad night's sleep. This was disappointment from this thing that I imposed over here. That's not valid. And trim it back and pair it back to its essential thing. And then say, that's why I'm angry. This was the love that was violated this was the value that was disregarded. This is the thing I need to take to my brother or my sister. So for you internal processors, I think that's something that you need to do. Uh, external processors, you're like me. Uh, I think also exercise, valid, right? Let's go for a bike ride. Let's spin off some of this frustration. Let's split some firewood. Let's mow the lawn. You see somebody whose yard's really tidy. <laughs> you know that, guy, that person is... Dealing with some anger, right? <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Could be other issues. There's a whole host of them. But I think one of the things that an external processor really needs are trusted friends. A good, trusted friend who is willing to sit with you knee to knee, face to face, and you can simply say, listen, I haven't processed this completely yet. I don't know if this is right. But this is what I'm feeling. And lay it out there for somebody who will listen and not judge you, ask questions, help you process, test it, poke a few holes in it, give you some things for you to ponder. And that process can be so helpful. I know, I know myself, I need to talk things through. Um, a real gift that two men in this church have given to me, uh, Pastor Keith initially, 
and Pastor Adam now, on Monday mornings, these guys, uh, over the past number of years, will sit down in my office and simply say, how you doing? How was your weekend? What's ahead? And that opportunity to just process what's going on in my heart, whether it's anger or something else, is just healing for me. So helpful. It's like tuning an instrument. I need that. And some of you do as well. Um, so how do, we, how do we handle that? It depends. If you're an internal processor, you need time. You need space. You need to probably do some writing. You need some, to do some thinking. If you're an external processor, you need someone to talk to uh, and kind of work it out there. Lastly here, so how do we deal, how do we bring this anger under control? We acknowledge it, we investigate it. Lastly, M, master it. Aim, you got to aim your anger here. Master it. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. What a great picture. A city that has no protection, no walls, no defense, wide open to attack. That's you if you have not learned self-control. Proverbs 19.11, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. I think both of these Proverbs suggest that there's a, there's a time to just sit back, take it under control, and to not let yourself be overrun. Rather, to be a student of your anger, taking time to evaluate it before you act. Again, a two-stage process. Feel it, and then think about your action. And then when we do that, I think that anger can be used as a catalyst, even for good. If anger is an emotion that uh, we are cautioned about throughout the Scripture, then we need to recognize it throughout the Proverbs as one who uses it in unrestrained fashion, that they're walking the way of the fool. That's the risk. But if we take it in hand and we become a student of it and we aim it, then through self-control, it can be rewarding. Again, Proverbs 29, 11. Fools give, fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. I want to close with this particular picture, not of mankind, but of God himself. And I want you to note that anger is actually listed as an attribute of God. Not a vice, but something that is true of God, something that he has towards those things which are sinful and in error. And in one of his, uh, maybe the clearest pictures in all of Scripture of who God is, as he reveals himself to Moses. You know, Moses cries out, and last time I said this, the power went out in the building, so hopefully that doesn't happen. (laughs) Lord, I want to see your glory. Right? Okay. And God said, okay, you can't see my full glory, but I tell you what, I'll let you see sort of my trailing glory. And he hems him in the rock and says, stay there, you'll be safe there. And he allows his glory to pass in front of him, and he allows Moses just a glimpse of, passive, uh, a glimpse of it. And as this is occurring, God gives a picture of himself, a self-portrayal. And he says, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, Slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. 
yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. And it goes on provocatively to say, he punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. We don't like that last line. But here's what I want you to see in this. Anger is an attribute of God, though he is slow to it. God was angry about our sin, but he was self-controlled. He didn't give full vent to it, and he doesn't give full vent to it in each and every instance, or we'd be evaporated, right? Instead, he was patient, controlled, and he directed his anger to the solution of the cross, where our sin was placed in his beloved son. And by truth, our sin was destroyed, and by grace, it was destroyed in Jesus. It was his righteous anger, and yet his abounding grace, that brought about the calm of salvation for us all. Psalm 30, verse 5 says, For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Let's pray. Our Father, we acknowledge that you have made us human, and that is not a bad thing. That is a good thing. It's what you have made us for. And in being made human, we have been made in your likeness and in your image. Lord, anger is a genuine, honest emotion that we have. And it has a rightful place. We see that in you, that even you yourself, God, took anger and directed it constructively to solve the problem of sin and to redeem us and to make us your children. Thank you for your self-control for your righteous anger, that sin would be destroyed and that we would be forgiven. Help us, Lord, as we diagnose and assess the anger that we might feel, why we feel it, and how we might aim it in a rightful and constructive way. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.